Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. This is Charlie Webb, and you're listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio's Spot Radio. Welcome back, medical device packaging engineers, medical device manufacturers, and anyone else that listens in to my little podcast I put on here. You know, usually we're chatting with a SME about a narrow topic typically, but I think it's important and, you know, something we want to do is to have the sort of peer-to-peer discussion moving forward. We always want to learn from our peers and sometimes we're siloed a little bit from what's going on in the company next door. So it's great if we can all sort of connect as a a single node and uh, be able to share things that we've learned and case studies are a great way to do that. And today we have a case study. And to do this, you know, I brought in a really cool engineer, packaging engineer, Curtis from Adept Packaging, to have this discussion. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Before we get going, let me uh, introduce you and tell you a little bit about our guest, Curtis. Curtis Gibby is the Director of Life Science Practice at Adept Packaging, which delivers best-in-class engineering, consulting, talent, and digital solutions for the packaging community. Curtis is an accomplished packaging engineer with expertise in packaging design and development with more than 15 years experience in pharmaceuticals and medical devices such as pre-filled syringes. Curtis is an ASTM committee member for the FO2, D10, and the D37. He's Lean Six Sigma certified and holds a bottle design patent for Class 2 medical device. Hey Curtis, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. First of all, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what Adept Packaging does, your position there, and how you fit into the group, and just so we can kind of get our grounding here a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I really appreciate you having me on. Adept Packaging, you know, at a high level, we offer people. So we we offer our services within life sciences. Adept Group as a whole has other offerings as well. But, you know, specifically within life sciences, one of those areas we touch on is sterile packaging. And we focus on packaging development, device development, as well as some other areas such as labeling, project management, and, and regulatory I have been with the company for almost 10 years now. I'm currently the director of our life science practice. I've held many of roles throughout my time here within Adept. And previously to that, I worked with uh, J&J for a number of years where I joined Adept about 10 years ago. Cool. Quite a resume. Well, one of the things that, you know, we think is real important on these discussions, you know, case studies is what we did in college. That's what we do in consulting groups is a great way for us to have an analog to look at to sort of glean data from. So today I want to talk to you a little bit about the pre-filled syringe project you were on. So if you could maybe frame this uh, case study a little bit from the very beginning, what were the challenges, how do those discussions look, and how did it go all the way out to roll out? You know, what sort of speed bumps did you hit along the way? The big issue here was uh, the, the client that we were helping support had a number of molecules that they were coming through the pipeline, and they really wanted to be efficient, um, reduce their time to market for uh, later molecules, and really leverage that from a device and packaging perspective. 
So we decided that the best approach to that was to build a platform for their PFS, the pre-filled syringes with needle safety devices, the NSDs. So we were not only building this out for clinical, but as well as for commercial and really having that streamline and as much overlap between the two is really helpful for regulatory submissions and speed to market, which is what we want to focus on. You said something interesting where a lot of time I think in medical device packaging anyway, we'll have a customer that's sort of a setup for a clinical distribution evaluation, and they don't look at the commercialization part that's going to happen later. I guess you save a lot of time really when you can sort of fold in what's going to happen later, what you need to do now. So you're not starting this process all over again when you're in that discovery mode. Yeah, absolutely. So it enabled us to, you know, not only reduce the amount of testing, qualifications, submission forms, you know, reports, all of that. This client specifically had over eight molecules in their pipeline. Within each molecule, some of them had multiple syringe sizes. So we were working with one ML syringes and 2.25 ML syringes. And an additional variable to that was some of them also had on extended or add-on finger flanges on the needle safety devices. So if you extrapolate that out and you had a package for each of those molecules and variables, you know, you could have lots of different packaging. So the, the real goal here was to consolidate all that as much as possible and really get a platform for all molecules, you know, they had in their pipeline and, and future. You know, when you're in that process, I know I'm, I've been involved in a lot of innovation work over the years. And, you know, the end user is something that we always focus on, particularly when there's a clinical aspect and how the end user clinician may use the device. Are you folding in that onboarding piece to when you're developing this? Or is that maybe another department that deals with those? But it seems like, you know, packaging sometimes needs to kind of stick their head in to see if there is any innovation changes on that device what is their responsibility and letting the end user understand the clinical use of the device? Packaging, unfortunately, gets left out or behind a lot. We were semi-lucky in this case. You know, we really had a good relationship and were integrated in with the device development and at an early stage. One of the other things, too, that we brought to the table was our packaging requirements document, which we like to do with all of our projects, specifically on the medical device and sterile packaging side. And some of the items that are included in that are basically, okay, what are these devices or sterile packaging requirements, you know, not only from the device level, the packaging clinician, the patient, the transportation, you need light protection, CR, blinding, shelf life, all of these different aspects include that as much as you can up front. So when we are developing these platforms or, or single packaging designs, you know, we're really capturing as much of that to reduce any changes down the line. What were your challenges on the blinding piece? Some of the molecules did require some double blinding and different blinding within the clinical phase. So unfortunately, I guess for this client, you know, their molecules, some of them had a yellowish tint to them. Comparing that to their placebos, you know, it was pretty obvious that you could tell which was the drug and which mm, was not. So that before, yeah. We did a couple things here. And one of those was we immediately took the needle safety device, the NSD, and actually tinted that yellow. We started off with one color and changed at a later date, which I'll, I'll get to why in a second. So the second step there was we actually took the label that was placed on the pre-filled syringe, which is under the NSD, 
and also created that yellow. The challenging part was, okay, what color yellow? (laughs) Um, All those different molecules we had in the pipeline, we really had to take a look. We couldn't capture them all because they all really weren't out of state of in phase one or phase two within clinical phases. So we determined that the best approach was to establish a Delta E color standard, which basically we took the darkest molecule and basically 3X that and came up with this Delta E, matched the NSD color as much as possible to that as well. Due to the label placement and the yellow label, you know, it was very difficult to see unless you really, really knew what you were looking for to be able to tell the difference. So that was very key. Some of the other issues that we had around the label placement, you know, really had to work with on the clinical side where that label was placed, the tolerances within the label supplier, the tolerances at our CMO to really make sure that we were hitting everything and incorporating that into our process. Were there other issues during the packaging design and qualification besides what you just mentioned there that kind of maybe threw you a bit? Yeah. So the first one was our blinding. We were successful in that and and very happy with that. And then quickly into our development testing, we did hit a couple other issues. So first of them was the CMO had changed the label supplier on us and the material after we kind of went through the blinding process. And we immediately started seeing label lifting. So we had to go through a couple things there. We trialed some new materials. They could source close to their location, did testing. These molecules as well were stored two to eight and shipped two to eight. So we did a testing at certain levels with the syringes and evaluated those over certain time periods and chose the best case there. Secondly to that, we also changed the wrap direction that the CMO was using to reduce the lifting as there was some interference with the label and the NSD depending on how it interacted and how you spun that. So we wrapped it essentially in the opposite direction that you would spin it to read the text on the syringe label. And this kind of eliminated that issue as well as when you would use the plunger rod to spin it, it wouldn't loosen if there was any interference. You know, as I hear these things as a project manager, I see the calendar flipping. These things are taking time. Never have we understood more. And of course, we can't have this conversation without talking about COVID and all of the changes and what we all learned about rapid deployment, quick to market, warp speed, all the nomenclature that has folded into medical device packaging this past year. On this particular case study, you weren't held to those pandemic level of rush to market, but there's always a rush to market. Obviously, medical device manufacturing companies have to quickly monetize their device to keep the air conditioning going. So how do you look at timelines and how do you adjust for these sort of hiccups along the way? That's a great question and leads to one of our other issues we had during mechanical shipping. A couple parts there. So the first part is adjusting to that is putting as many different packaging options and not just one, you know, during your development is very helpful as a, a parallel path, as well as if you get to a certain point with one option, you might have some other data you could go back to and not have to start from the beginning. That's very helpful. And, and we try to do that as much as possible and as much as the, you know, client or, or whoever will allow us to do that. The second issue we had there was around mechanical shipping For the molecules, this client, they actually used cut flanges and round flanges because they had not fully transitioned to round flange syringes yet. But an issue arose during our drop testing and development, the packaging that the supplier had recommended, we found out didn't work very quickly. And as well during our development testing, if the cut flange on the pre-filled syringe was just in the proper direction during the drop, 
it actually, the pre-filled syringe would eject from the needle safety device because it was held too tightly within the carton. Mm. We did a quick design change in the inner partition there that, that held that device to allow some give, which basically allowed us, you know, that cushioning during impact and drops in, in our ASTM testing, which reduced that and eliminated that issue. All the round French lunges, because they're much more of a friction and harder connection between the two, we didn't have any issues there. But really having, you know, good suppliers and good relationships to turn around samples is very helpful with, you know, getting things to market quicker and and making up for some of that lost time. It's great when we can discover these issues like that more sort of almost an exotic situation where you would have that problem in your drop testing. Sometimes those things, I mean, obviously you can see why some of these slip through because based on even statistic relevant numbers where you're running these studies, you can still have these outliers that can cause issues that, that sort of unfold. And sometimes it's the clinician that discovers some of these issues. Many moons ago, I'm an old guy, so I think it was 25 years ago, I was at the uh, academy meeting for ophthalmology and I was innovating in surgical knives for cataract surgery at the time. We were showing a physician one of the way that we, a surgeon, how this device clipped into this PET tray and how it deployed out. And through the process of this, as we were bending the thermoform tray, it snapped out and literally flew across the expo. (laughs) So you're like, wow, a lot of these things that, you know, when sales guys at trade shows are discovering some of these things, you wonder how some of these potential delivery challenges slip through the cracks. When you're looking at this, how do you aggregate data that you're collecting? And when do you say enough? And I've had so many answers to this question about, you know, we can go into Taguchi modeling and all of these sort of uh, statistical uh, sort of tools. But at the end of the day, there seems to be a, a little bit more of this sort of tractor sensibility when it comes into trying to develop this safe waterline, where we're safe and when are we tested enough. What is your approach in terms of understanding risk and risk to process, of course, is everything in our industry. How does your company help the customer find that risk without going into these ad absurdium levels of endless testing where, again, we need to get the product to market? We work with startups to anywhere from, you know, Fortune 500 in the top 10 life science companies around. So the biggest thing there is really starting at your risk assessment level, integrating your packaging into that, and not only your product, but your patient risks to determine, you know, what your sample sizes may be. It's always a struggle within sterile packaging and medical devices to get sample sizes that that we like and, you know, depends on the product and the device of what's available. We strive as much as we can to really hit that high-end sample size of 299 to get you that 95% confidence, 99 reliability. But there certainly are cases where we can't hit that. So we're, you know, taking in a number of factors of our risk assessments and maybe lowering the sample sizes to as low as 60, but really ensuring that we're doing the proper tests, doing them at worst case scenarios, and really establishing that to get those baselines. So when you are at a show or at the clinic, you know, those instances of things popping out or, or not functioning properly are very, very reduced. I think a lot of it comes down to how you develop experiments. And because I'm an internal, a certified internal auditor for 17025, I get called into as a liaison on a lot of ISO meetings. When I look at how the design of experiments were developed sometimes, the biggest problem is uh, typically a flawed experiment. So 
they really didn't gate the process and they didn't really understand the risk and they didn't fold in enough data to be able to really extrapolate whether or not there was going to be a problem. And then that's when we lose sterility in the field. Well, you know, where everybody's talking about uh, cold chain right now, I think in this particular case study, this also had that attribute. What were the challenges there? Yeah. So the good and bad thing here is, you know, we were developing a platform. So our clinical side, we had slightly smaller boxes as there was no patient information or patient leaflets needed. And on the commercial side where we had larger boxes, they took up a little more space. There was already separate projects going on to develop a platform for two to eight shipping with three sizes. So we integrated with that team very quickly and were able to bracket our testing for the thermal aspects of that. So, you know, conducting our summer and winter shipments, as well as, you know, in the lab in real time to get a bracketing approach where, you know, we have our smallest payload and our largest and heaviest payload to, to really get a good approach there to include all the molecules for this project. In order to get this, and again, I, I keep on bringing, I guess it's because I own a medical device package and machine company and cost is always circling around in my head. In order to make this efficient, now where does your company roll in in terms of, I, I know in this particular one, you went into a semi-automated cartoning process. That's key to be able to keep costs down to increase throughput. So tell me how you integrated that process. Yeah, so that process initially was not semi-automated. We were working with the CMOs and we actually, when we added the second one, is when we really kind of found this issue. Now, clients always have very unique quality agreements with their CMOs. Sometimes packaging costs are very transparent. Sometimes they're not. In this case, specifically, the cartons for the clinical side initially were all hand-directed supplier and shipped pretty much fully assembled to the, the CMO. And during our qualifications and trips to the CMO and all this, you know, we really, our team with our experience came in and identified that as a very big cost savings, specifically because of all the quantities and and volumes and number of molecules that we're using this. So we added in our value there. We semi-automated this at the supplier on their equipment, the commodity supplier of the cartons, and actually uh, saved an estimated of a 450000 a year just on that clinical cart inside. That was a huge cost savings for them, pretty much paid for our services and then some, which is always great to do. And then, you know, it also meant for smoother transitions for uh, moving to different CMOs if needed, as they did at a later date to uh, have US, EU and rest of the world packaging. From all these processes, how big is the team that's behind this and how much cross understanding? How wide is that band in your organization? I know, obviously, when we work with larger companies, we have these granular levels of individuals that are super specialized. At our company, we're fairly small. Everyone can do anything here. We're all very horizontally uh, trained. So how in, in your organization, I mean, sounds to me like you really got to understand what's north and south of your operation. And I'm trying to to sort of develop this uh, question so packaging engineers can sort of understand the breadth of a project like this and what that individual's sort of skill set needs to look like. It can be, you know, case by case basis. Certainly, you know, everybody is not an expert in everything and I don't think they should be. 
the great thing about Adept is, you know, we really have a solid core of engineers. So we'll we'll approach these projects where we have a single port in contact or one engineer kind of as the lead. As it, some of these issues or other things come up, if they may not have that experience or expertise, we are always reaching out to our other internal teammates to bring in, you know, whether it's a thermal expert, somebody expert on specifically for labeling or cartoning or sterility, depending on what the project may be. You know, we touch so many different aspects. So chances are we have at least one person on our team that's an expert in that. And we just try to pair them up and provide, you know, more value to the client. So you're not just getting one person and just their knowledge. You're really getting a larger bucket that you can leverage. What was the timeline look like for this project? Clinical and versus commercial was a little different. So obviously the clinical side, you know, we had a couple hiccups, but we were really able to leverage our CMO, our network, our experience. And that was between six and eight months to get that initial first molecule up and running. On the commercial side, took a bit longer. Other things, you know, caused delays, you know, outside of packaging, such as equipment, change parts and things. So that was closer to the 12 to 14 month period, as well as the first molecule launch was delayed. So, you know, there were some other aspects in there that always add to that, that we, you know, are flexible on and help facilitate in. But the good thing was, you know, when we moved from clinical to commercial, there was a lot of things that we were able to drop and make less complicated. So we didn't need the blinding. We were able to switch back to a clear needle safety device. The differentiator for each molecule at that point was from a coloring and labeling aspect. So the cartons, you know, had their specific branding. The plunger rods were color coded, I will say, to, to each molecule as well as the cartons were modified again, because we did need to add a patient insert as well as these were be fully automated on packaging equipment. So the patient insert caused us a, a little issues because all the different molecules, depending on the country as well, we needed anywhere from one to three different inserts. So that's where really the success of the platform design for that carton came into play. And we could have one carton for each syringe size and it could take up to multiple variables for each of those designs, which reduced the changeover, reduced change parts at the site, really allowed them for flexibility for switching from one molecule to the other. Mm. As you're speaking, I'm thinking this Fibonacci sequence of complexity and all the things that have to fold in and any one of these sort of granular pieces, spokes of the process can really change. In fact, we just recently had an issue where, you know, we look at the clinical potential issues that are slowing it manufacturing issues. Recently, we had a marketing group where the logo laid sort of uneasy on a flexible pouch and it cost a three-month delay just to sort of rebrand that pouch. So it's amazing how many different people have to be involved in this and what impact every one of the bits of science and business that impact these processes. Well, tell me any uh, sort of closing advice from your experience on this, I know a lot of people, again, as I said in the very beginning, we're all looking at quick deploy processes right now. We're even in that mode. We were, we were very much involved in the nasopharyngeal swab packaging this year. We had to uh, make sure we stay to process and uh, keep uh, all the regulatory processes in play, but we had to uh, double up our action and those are always challenging. So any sort of closing thoughts, Curtis, you can tell us that uh, you'd like to share with our engineers? Yeah, you know, advocate for packaging to be involved as early as possible within your projects, you know, no matter what company you're in. 
you know, really show that value and show, you know, how implementing that later can really cause delays into your product and getting that to market not as fast as you would hope, which usually entails to either loss of money or spending more money. As well as I think the more designs that you can test in the initial development and design works really upfront before you get to the qualification and validation activities really helps you as you get down the line to weed out a lot of those bugs or other issues that may come up. We found that to be very valuable and the clients really appreciate that, which, which is always good to hear. Great wisdom, Curtis. Thank you so much for joining me today. Great discussion. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast today are breathing deep, like, wow, that's a lot involved in this process. I know that we can get so granular on this discussion and love to have you back where we can talk about some more of your projects. But I think it puts a light on so many things that are impactful to processes. So again, Curtis, thanks for joining me. We'll uh, definitely uh, gift you a call and get you back on our show again. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate the time and and always a pleasure speaking with you and love the uh, technical conversations. They always uh, are very helpful. Well, Curtis, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast today and sharing your case study with us. You know, I really think that these are so valuable. Case studies, of course, are a great way to frame a story and for us to glean data that might help us. So many medical device packaging engineers really need that peer-to-peer sort of connectivity, and that's what we aim to deliver here at Spot Radio. Listen, if you'd like to get a hold of uh, Curtis, you can take a look at the uh, podcast description. has his email there. If you'd like to contact Adept Packaging, it's easy, 585-703-4022, or you can just pop over to their website. It's adeptpackaging.com. Well, this is Charlie Webb. Once again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Sterile Packaging on Track, Spot Radio. This podcast is made possible by Vanderstahl Scientific. Executive producer, Lisa Wasper. Director of Media Service, Hector Garcia. Audio engineering and editing by Joel and our friends at East Coast Studios. And this is Jonathan Lockwood saying thanks for your support, medical device manufacturers. See you next time on Spot Radio. Spot Radio.